good morning. Well, church, this morning we have the privilege of participating in the sacred moment of communion that Christians for 2,000 years have been participating in. Before we move towards that, I just want to say thank you um, to our church family. You guys have been so kind and generous to us. It's been such an encouragement as we're going through our family personally a really difficult time in your texts and your prayers, and it's all been um, such a blessing. I just want to say that I'm so grateful, and this really is family, and we're living it, and we believe it, and we love you guys. With that in mind, as we prepare to move towards communion, let's pray. Jesus, all of our worship belongs to you because you have first loved us, because you made us, you stayed with us, and you bought us back, and you make us and remake us into your image, and you make all things good. So let your name be glorified this morning. Amen. I have not been uh, secret about my love for coffee. I have preached that many times um, here, and I will preach it many more times, um, because coffee next to Jesus and right above spending time outside, those are the three messages that I preach. I think you should love Jesus, drink coffee, and spend more time outdoors. That's really it. Like, that's the key to a better life. Coffee, Jesus, outside time. I, I love coffee. Coffee is a fully engrossing, multi-sensory experience. It's incredible, and I am dedicating my life to taking people from hot bean water to the amazing, enlivening juice from Jesus that it is, right? Like, actually, the wine in communion was coffee. It's in the, it's in the Greek. You've got to really dig down, but that's what it was. When Jesus turned water into wine, he turned water into, like, a single-origin light roast coffee. <laughs> it's actually what it was. Um, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who don't like coffee. And if that's you, it's okay. Jesus is still transforming all of our hearts. We all have room to grow. Um, but there are a lot of people who don't like coffee, and I have a theory after spending many years talking with people and discipling people in the art of coffee and introducing people to coffee. I've got some theories on why that is that there are people who don't like coffee. Um, and I think this is why. Most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, when we grew up, we were young, we smelled coffee. Almost everybody I've ever met thinks coffee smells amazing. Even if they don't like it, they love the way coffee smells. You're a kid. You smell this thing, you see the adults drinking coffee, and it's this exotic, grown-up thing. You can't wait to drink that thing that your parents, your grandparents, your uncles, whatever, they drink, and it smells so good. So then maybe you're like 10 or 11 or 12, and you get your first drink of coffee, and it's horrible, right? It's like old, stale, way too strong or way too weak or still tastes like the metal carton or can that it came in. You know, it's just like you smelled this amazing, exotic thing, and then you taste it, and all you taste is just nasty bitterness, right? If that's you, give coffee another try. What you tasted wasn't coffee. It was basically mud made with coffee beans, all right? There is another way to make coffee. Praise the Lord. Now, here's, here's the way... That I think we, we deal with that. Some of us, we had our first taste of coffee, and it was just, it was horrible. We didn't like it. So, but we, we saw that coffee was important, right? We got, we, maybe we went to college, and we had a whole bunch of exams to study for. We were trying to pull an all-nighter, so we learned to drink coffee. And what did we do? 
we put like cream and sugar and more cream and sugar in it and we got all of the coffee taste out of it and now we can drink it, right? Coffee is just a vessel for milk and sugar. Um, and that's how we drink coffee now, right? Like we can tolerate it, it's fine, but we have to change the flavor. So we go to Starbucks and we order a Frappuccino, which is not coffee, but that's okay. God still loves you. Um, others of us, we can't stand that taste of coffee because every single time, I mean, I've met people that drink anything, like anything that's like, they drink coffee ice cream, they drink anything that's got even just a hint of coffee in it, and it's just an immediate visceral reaction. Because every time they taste that bitterness, it just brings them right back to that first time, right? It's this association. They can't stand coffee because it reminds them of that first experience, that first bitterness. Now, this is not like a very subtle analogy. You probably know where I'm going with this. A lot of people, that is our experience with the Lord. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you've just heard about Jesus for much of your life. You've been around it. You've been in the Bible belt. And you heard about this love. You heard about forgiveness. You heard about righteousness. You heard about goodness. And then you tasted something. And what I want to tell you is that bitterness, that wasn't Jesus. But it was in the name of Jesus. So some of us, we, we view God, we view faith as necessary for life. So we find a way to deal with it. We put cream and sugar in it. We put a bunch of additives into it. We, we don't deal with it as it is. We change it and form it into whatever cultural image that we want so that we can tolerate it in our lives, and then that's what we participate in. Others of us, maybe people in this room, if not in this room, you know people who are like this. I know people who this is their experience. That that first contact or that negative experience in high school or in college left such a bitter taste in their mouth, in your mouth, that any time something smacks of Christianity, you can't get over that bitterness. It triggers that first experience. And every time you taste coffee, every time you taste faith, it just brings you back to that original place. The thing about coffee is that there is some bitterness in it. It is a bitter drink. There's just more to it than that. The thing about faith is that it is difficult. There's just more to it than that. It's not only difficult. And the difference between following Jesus and any other belief system is that our God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our God does not say, if you believe enough, it will be good. He does not say, close your eyes, don't ask questions, and then it'll make sense. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a difficult process because for some of us, we are learning to drink faith black. We're learning to take out the cream and sugar. We're learning to take out the additives that have diluted the fullness of Jesus. And experiencing the bitterness is difficult. It's worth it, but it's difficult. For some of us, we're learning to reorient our mind. 
to disassociate Jesus from that bitter experience that we've had in the past altogether so that we can taste and see completely new again. I think it's beautiful that in the sacred act that Jesus gave his followers to remember him, he gave us communion. We taste the bread and we taste the cup. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we prepare for communion this morning, I just want to offer you one thing. No matter where you're at in your journey or your experience with Jesus, I want to tell you this, that the purest explanation of who God is, is in his cross, is in his death and resurrection, which is why in communion when he said, remember me, he said, remember my body that was broken for you, my blood that was poured out for a new covenant, the salvation of many. Whatever our experience, this is the truth. This is the period at the end of the sentence explaining who God is to us, that he died and rose again. When we remember him, we remember the love shown on the cross. And this is what we will taste and see this morning as we participate in communion. But before we do, we're going to do something really awkward. You ready? You don't even know what it is yet. For most of church history, one of the spiritual disciplines, and as we had Praxis yesterday, which is an event focusing on spiritual disciplines, one of the core spiritual disciplines has been silence. Silence is awkward. Silence is uncomfortable. In silence, we don't have something to distract our thoughts or to occupy our minds. In silence, we're just left with us and the Lord. And that's why silence has been a spiritual discipline, because it eliminates distraction. And that's why silence is basically everyone's least favorite spiritual discipline. That's probably the least common spiritual discipline in our world today, because we live in a world of noise. So we are going to take this morning five minutes of silence to prepare for communion. Some of you are going to love it. You're like, I've been waiting for this all week. Some of you are going to hate the next five minutes. What I'm going to ask you to do is whatever you're feeling going into it, don't push away. Don't distract yourself. Embrace the bitterness. The bitterness is part of it. And see what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. As we move into five minutes of silence, I'm going to read a verse that we will consider as we prepare for communion and as we take this time of silence. It comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Over these next five minutes, do your best to not consider the people sitting next to you, to embrace the awkwardness and the uncomfortable nature of silence, and allow this to prepare your hearts to remember 
the cross of Jesus because this is how he demonstrates his love. While we were still sinners, he died for us.
Amen. Five minutes is a lot longer than you thought it was, isn't it? As we prepare for communion, prepare our hearts to remember how God reveals himself in a finality to us. You can take the awkward, noisy plastic cup that we will hopefully be done using very, very soon. We're just running out our COVID supply. <laughs> you can open the first layer. On the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after giving thanks, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of a new covenant. poured out for the salvation of many. Every time you drink, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And as we worship, and as our service comes to a conclusion this morning, as that taste of the juice lingers in your mouth, remember that our God invites us to taste and see that he is good. In no uncertain terms did he tell us of his love for us. He demonstrated it in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we do not have to question or wonder of your love for us. We thank you that you made your love clear. You made your love clear to us when you died in our place and rose again, inviting us to new life. Let us experience your goodness. Let us continue to pursue you. Let us push past the bitterness and experience the fullness of who you are. We love you. We thank you that our love for you will always pale in comparison to your love for us. That is the truest thing about us.